The World Missions Offering is one of the means of funding Free Will Baptist International Missions. It's one of the means of funding Free Will Baptist International Missions. The official uh, date for the World Missions Offering was the August 28th, but uh, we had other things going on, and so I didn't want to do it then, and they don't care when you do it really, so long as you do it before the year's up. So we're going to do it on Sunday, October the 30th. Uh, tonight is our monthly prayer service, the last Wednesday of the month. So we're going to do a prayer on praying for the nations to, to kind of get our hearts ready uh, for that day of the World Missions Offering so that we can give to help get the gospel to the nations. Now I want to start by talking about God's heart for the nations and the fact that God has always been for the nations. The command that we call the Great Commission was given to go to, to Jesus gave us all, had all authority, was given to him. So we are to go to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to follow everything He had commanded. And behold, He is with us always to the end of the age. Now, the Greek word that's translated as nations is pantata ethne. And it means more than like the United States or Bulgaria or India. Uh, what it means is much better, right? The people in Jesus' day really didn't think in terms of of nations as we do. They thought more in terms of what we would call ethnic groups or people groups. And every nation has multiple ethnic groups living within them. Right? So think about in America with the Native Americans. We refer to Native Americans, we talk about all the Native Americans that way, but we also know that Cherokees are not Apaches, and Creeks are not Sioux, and Chickasaw are not Seminoles. This is the basic idea of ethnic groups. So here are just some statistics on ethnic groups. In the United States, there are 522 unique and distinct people groups living within it. India has 2,373 unique and distinct people groups living within it. Bulgaria has 30 unique and distinct people groups living in it. Pakistan has 835 unique and distinct people groups living in it. The Ivory Coast has 108 unique and distinct people groups living in it. In total, there are 17,428 unique and distinct people groups known in the world. And God intends to save people from each and every one. Now the idea of God saving people from each and every ethnic or people group isn't a modern idea uh, based upon the Greek language or some sort of linguistic trick from the Greek language. The idea comes from God. When we get to the book of Revelation, we see the end. They sing a new song. The crowd are on the throne. They sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to break its seals, for you are slaughtered, purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Every tribe, language, people, and nation is basically saying, all 17,428 unique and distinct people groups in the world. And Jesus died to purchase people for God from each and every one of them. Now, one of the things that we might find surprising is that God saving people from every ethnic group or every people group isn't even really a New Testament concept. Right? This was always a part of God's plan. When God chose Abraham... He told him, go from your country, go to your relative, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, 
And I, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families right, of the earth is basically the same thing as saying every tribe, language, and people, or every all of the 17,428 people groups in the world. The question, though, is how are all 17,428 people groups in the world, how have they been blessed through Abraham? Well, obviously the way they have been blessed through Abraham is through Jesus. It's through Jesus who died to purchase people from all 17,428 unique and distinct known people groups in the world, making Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and Revelation 5, 9 possible. God always intended to save people from every ethnic and people group. This was true even in the Old Testament, as we see here. We often mistakenly have the idea that in the Old Testament, God was concerned about Israel. And then in the New Testament, God is concerned about everyone else because of Jesus. This is wrong. God's plan and God's purpose was always for the nations. God's purpose in choosing Abraham was always to bless all the nations of the earth through him, through Jesus. This was always the point of what God was going to do. The point of God choosing Abraham and making a great nation through Abraham was to show he is the all-powerful and all-sovereign God of the universe. It was also to show that he would fulfill his promise, the promise in Genesis 3 and 15 of a redeemer, the one who would crush the serpent's head. The purpose of Abraham's calling, the purpose of the nation of Israel was always Jesus. What God was doing in Genesis 12 by calling Abraham was to be a great nation, was God was going to make a great nation through him and through Abraham. He was going he was planning the earthly lineage of Jesus. So always keep in mind the ultimate purpose of everything God did in the Old Testament was to keep his promise of a redeemer who would come in the person of Jesus Christ. God was always planning on redeeming the earth. That was always a part of what he had in mind. One another reason this is important for us to understand is God was not, Yahweh in the Old Testament is not some sort of a puny tribal God. Right? All the nations of the earth in the time of Abraham had gods. Right? They had their own unique gods and their gods ruled their particular part of the world. If they were people who lived on the mountain, then they worshipped a God in the mountains. And if they were, lived in the valley, then they worshipped a God in the valley. And their God was basically just one among many. And he was a more or less what you would call a regional God or a tribal God. The God of the panhandle would be a particular God. The Yahweh was not that. Yahweh was not a puny tribal God. He was not the God that lived on the mountains but had no power in the valleys. He was not the God who lived on land but had no power in the ocean. He is the God of all. Repeatedly, we're told in the Old Testament that the world and all those who live in it, Psalm 24, 1, belong to Yahweh. He is the king over all kings and always has been. And he is the Lord over all lords and always has been. And he is God over all the nations. And he always has been. All throughout the Old Testament, we see pictures of God wanting and willing to redeem people from every Ethnic or people group. And let me show you this and what you may think would be an odd place to find it. Turn to Exodus chapter 6, page 47 in your pew Bible. 
Exodus 6 clearly is the early parts of the Exodus time when God is still dealing with Abraham, prepare, or Abraham with Moses, preparing Moses um, to go out and, and do his will. So if you look at Exodus 6 and verse 7, this is God speaking. God says, then I will take you as my people and I will be your God and you shall know. That I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. So what God was going to do through Moses in Egypt, he was going to do so they would know Yahweh was the Lord. He was the Lord their God and he was the one who was over all gods. This is a part of everything he did was so that the nation of Israel would know that God was there, that Yahweh was their God and he was the Lord over all things. But this isn't the only time we find this sort of a statement. Look at Exodus chapter 7 and verse 3. God again speaking says, but, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the lands of Egypt. Now look down at verse 5. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I extend my hand over Egypt to bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So God was going to do signs and wonders in Egypt, not just to show Israel that their God was the Lord over all of the earth, but also to show the Egyptians that the God of Israel was the God over all the earth. Look at Exodus 7 and 17. Moses is going to speak to Pharaoh. So this is God and what he's said, what he is going to do something in the midst of Israel. And this is why. And this is what the Lord says, that you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I am going to strike the water that is in the Nile, the staff that is in my hand. And it will be turned to blood. Right. So God is going to turn the Nile to blood, but he's doing it so that the Egyptians will know that Yahweh is the Lord. Now look at chapter eight and verse twenty two. God is going to send a plague and it's going to be a swarm of flies. But on that day, it says in verse 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of flies will be there in order that you. And he's talking to Pharaoh again, that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. Right? God was going to make a difference. It wasn't going to be a coincidence that there were flies. It was going to be clear this was the hand of God so that the Pharaoh and the Egyptians would know that the Lord was there and he was over all things. Look at Exodus 9 and 14. God says, for this time, I'm going to send all my plagues on you and on your servants and on your people so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. Right. So God was doing all that he was going to do. So the Egyptians would know there is no God like Yahweh, not the whole pantheon of Egyptian gods were nothing comparison to Yahweh. And then look. At Exodus 9 and 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord and the thunder will cease. And there will no longer be hell so that you may know the Lord or the earth is the Lord's. So God was going to stop the hell at Moses's prayer. So the Egyptians would know that Yahweh was the Lord. But here's where things start to get interesting. Look back at Exodus 9 verse 18. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will send a very heavy hail, such as not been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. 
So now send word to bring your livestock and whatever else you have in the field to safety. Every person and animal that's found in the field is not brought home. When the hail comes down on them will die. And everyone among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring in his servants and his livestock into the house. But everyone who did not pay regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So God has been doing all of these things. Yahweh has been doing all of these things. So the Egyptians would know that there's only one God and it's not raw. It is Yahweh. And now as the plagues have gone on, they've gotten more severe. Some of the Egyptians are beginning to fear the word of the Lord. And they're beginning to take heed of his warnings. Take advantage of his mercy and his grace to bring in their animals. They're starting to fear and believe in Yahweh. Now look at Exodus 10 and 2. And that you may know and that you may tell in the presence of your son and your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians, how I performed my signs among them so that you may know I am the Lord. So God was going to do again all that he was going to do so that the Egyptians and the Israelites would know there's only one God and it was Yahweh. Of course, the next plague God brings is the death of the firstborn. And what happened, what had to be done to keep from being from suffering in that plague? You had to kill a lamb, put its blood on the doorpost outside of your house. Now, again, this would have been something that was widely published. What do you suppose would have happened if some of the Egyptians who feared the word of the Lord previously had begun to say, he's really going to do this? And so they took a lamb and they watched it and they fulfilled all of the ways they were supposed to. And then they killed it and they put its blood on the doorpost. Do you suppose that the the deaf angel who went through, that he would have went ahead and went in there despite the blood and killed the firstborn of the Egyptians? Was it only going to be Israelites who were spared through the blood or was it going to be anyone who put the blood on the doorposts? Well... It doesn't explicitly say, but I believe it would have been anyone. I believe anyone who followed God's commands to take a lamb, to do what was supposed to, to cut the throat, to drain the blood, to put it on the doorpost, I believe they would have been spared. I I believe that because of what we saw with the hell. If God was willing to spare their animals and their servants, why would he not have been willing to spare the firstborn had they been willing to do what God had said to do. Now, admittedly, there's no proof for sure one way or another. But here's another reason I believe God did spare even the Egyptians who put the first bo- who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Look at Exodus 12, verse 37. So it's all happened. Israel is now leaving. And it says in verse 37. Now, the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides, uh, aside from children. So there's the Israelites. They're leaving, following God. But notice verse 38. And a mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herd and a very large number of livestock. Who are these mixed multitudes? Well, they're not, they're not Israelites, that's for sure. Because the Israelites were in verse 37. These are non-Israelites. So some are, and apparently a mixed multitude seems to imply it's even more than just Egyptians. It seems to imply that other people who lived in, in Egypt during this time, they seem to have 
begun to fear the word of Yahweh, had begun to believe he was the one true God, and they put the blood on the doorpost and they went out as well. Again, I do believe that some of these who are leaving in this mixed multitude are Egyptians who feared the Lord, heeded his word, and embraced covenant with Yahweh. And I believe this because it has always been God's plan to save people from all 17,428 people groups on the earth. One of the reasons I believe this is because God loves the nations and he always has. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world. The world through him might be saved. Jesus saying God loved the world and so Jesus died to save the world is just another way of saying God loves all 17,428 people groups, and Jesus died to save all 17,428 people groups. God's love, mercy, and compassion for all people groups are seen not only in the New Testament, but again, even in the Old Testament. Look at Jonah, chapter 1, page 701. And one of the reasons I'm taking such time to emphasize this is I don't want us to get the mistaken idea that God changed. There was a God in the Old Testament who was angry at everyone but Israel and even angry at them an awful lot of the time. And then there's a God in the New Testament who loves people, all people, not just Israel. There's not. There's one God who has acted the same in both covenants. Those who believed God were justified and saved by God. Those who did not believe God were judged by God. This is true Old and New Testament. So, Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and crowd against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, Boarded it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I grew up, and I was taught this. Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord because he was afraid of the Ninevites. Jonah was afraid that if he went to Nineveh, they would hurt him because the Ninevites were bad people. Jonah was fearful of what they would do to him if he preached God's message, and so he fled out of fear. And so the lesson we were always taught with this is be brave, trust God, go and do what God would want you to do despite potential opposition. Now, that's all true, except that's not why Jonah fled. Jonah was not afraid of the Ninevites. He did flee out of fear, but it wasn't fear of the Ninevites. Look at chapter 4 to see what Jonah was afraid of. Jonah has preached in chapter 3. The people have repented. Chapter 3 ends with when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster which He had declared He would bring on them, so He didn't do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. What's the it that greatly displeased Jonah? That God relented from the disaster He said He was going to bring on the Ninevites. God's mercy toward the Ninevites made Jonah angry. Then he prayed to the Lord and he said, please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? 
Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish, since I knew you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, the one who relents of disaster. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than life. Now, you realize what Jonah has said here. What Jonah was afraid of that caused him to flee was God showing mercy to the Ninevites. Jonah did not want that. And he knew that if he preached and they repented, God would forgive them and God would spare them. And Jonah didn't want that. And that is why he left. Jonah didn't flee out of fear of dying. Jonah fleed out of fear of being effective and seeing them actually repent at the message of Yahweh. And he is so grieved and so angry by it, he would rather die in verse 3 than live in a world where God forgives Ninevites. Verse 4. But the Lord said, you have good reason to be angry. Then Jonah left the city, sat down east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat in the shade so that he could see what would happen to the city. Now, so God's question. Are you, are you justified in your anger? Jonah doesn't answer God. He just gets out and he goes to a place where he could watch over the city. And literally what he's doing is he's watching to see maybe God will relent his relenting. Maybe God will go ahead and kill them anyway. And I'm going to be right here and I'm going to watch the show as God rains down Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and hailstone upon them. I'm going to get to see them die after all. And he waits. So the Lord in mercy designates a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade to his head to relieve him of his discomfort. And Jonah was overjoyed by the plant. But God then designated a worm when dawn came the next day and attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God designated a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with all his soul to die, saying death is better than life. So so picture the prophet of God here. He flees because he's afraid God will show mercy. When God shows mercy, he begs God to kill him because he'd rather die than see God show mercy to the Ninevites. But then he goes and waits to see if maybe God will still go ahead and kill them. God causes a plant to give him shade. The plant, God causes a worm to kill the plant. And Jonah basically lays on the ground and begs God to kill him again. So God confronts him. Do you have good reason to be angry about a plant? Jonah said, I do, even to the point of death. The Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand as well as many animals. God's question is, aren't you all out of whack, Jonah, because you care about a plant and not people? You didn't do anything for that plant. It just sprung up. And I, essentially the issue is, and I planted these people. I created them. And the idea that they don't know the difference between their right hand and their left, it doesn't mean they literally didn't know the difference between their right hand and their left. It's a, it's a metaphor for saying they, they don't know right from wrong. They're just lost in sin. They're spiritually blind. 
And God's point is, if if Jonah cares about a short-lived plant, he didn't do anything to, to see rise up, then shouldn't God care for the people he created? Of course, the answer is indeed, yes, he should. God loves and plans to save people from all 17,428 people groups in the world. And he always has. This was always part of God's plan. So God loves the nations, but God also plans to be glorified among the nations. The rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name shall be great among the nations. And in every place, frankincense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord. Again, you see the idea, the nations are in view. Now, something I only understood recently within the last couple of years, I'd always understood the rising of the sun to the setting to be like the time frame. Right? So as long as the rising of the sun setting, basically all day long, God's name is to be praised. But that's not the picture. The picture is everywhere the sun shines, every land, every spot of land where the sun touches, God's name is to be great among those people. So it's not the, the time frame of morning to evening, it's all the time. For the sun is always shining on a nation somewhere. And wherever the sun is shining at now, God intends to be glorified among that nation and by those people. This, again, is an Old Testament passage. This was always God's plan. God absolutely intends to be worshipped and glorified among all 17,428 people groups of the world. We don't have time to look at more. But take some time and read Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is basically an Old Testament call to evangelize the nations. In the Old Testament, we are called to proclaim God's glory to the nations. It is the Old Testament way of saying evangelize, make disciples of all 17,428 people groups for the glory of of God. The glory of God is not just our being among the 17,428 people groups and that we worship God in their midst and even that we try to evangelize them. The glory of God is all seven is people among all 17,428 people groups being evangelized, being discipled, and then they cry out and they worship the great God of heaven. God intends to be worshipped and glorified among all 17,428 people groups in the world. So we're going to take some time now to pray. Our prayer here needs to focus on having God's heart for the nations. We want God's purpose to save people from all 17,428 people groups in the world to be our purpose. We want to love all 17,428 people groups in the world just as God loves them. We want to long for God to be worshipped and glorified among all 17,428 people groups in the world just as God longs to be worshipped by them. So let's take a few minutes and let's pray.
Father, we love you. We thank you for your word which guides us, your spirit who teaches us. We pray tonight that you would give us your heart for the nations. Help us, Lord, to love all the peoples of the world. The same sort of redemptive love and great compassion that you have for them. Let our hearts ache to see you worshipped among all the peoples of the world. So they're not just to not just to send missionaries to these people. But Lord, to see the missionaries make disciples among those people and those people begin to cry out to you, write their own worship songs and tell about your glory in their language and in their stories. Help us to do what we can to be a part of your, your purpose, your overarching purpose to make disciples of all nations. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Not only do we want to pray for the nations, but just the nations in general, we also do want to pray, take time and pray for our Free Will Baptist International Missionaries. Um, if you go to that link, and it should be on the handout I've given you, it will take you to a list of all the Free Will Baptist missionaries we have in the world right now. You click on their picture, it will give you a brief biography of them, tell you where they're working, and even a link so you can give to support them. At the bottom of the page, the missionaries are grouped by country. So let's say you wanted to pray for Bulgaria. You could go down there, you could click on Bulgaria, and it would show you every missionary who is stationed in Bulgaria right now uh, serving through Free Will Baptist International Missions. It will give you a synopsis of the country, kind of a, a listing of what the country's like, what the religious climate is, what percentage of the people are Christian in that place. And it will even give you ways to pray for the nation in general. Now, among all the Free Will Baptist International Missionaries, there are five Families who are from Oklahoma. Rusty and Brenda Carney, who are in Japan. David and Mimi Reeves, who are in France. Dennis and Carol Teague, who are in France. Joel and Lydia Teague, who are also in France. And then Steve and Lori Torreson, who are actually not in overseas. They're at a missionary training center, training missionaries to go overseas. One more you could add to that uh, would be Emily Petty. She is not from Oklahoma. But she is our church-sponsored missionary. Our church sends at least $100 to her every month. In about 15 hours, she is headed to Japan as well. So you could add her to the list. Now, I give you all this in this list because what you can do, you can go to the IM site, click on a missionary family, and you can pray for them. Pray for them. You can pray for the family. Uh, you can look at them and see a picture of what they look like to have an idea of who you're praying for. And as you pray, pray what I call the five F's for them. Pray they would be faithful. To Jesus, to the gospel, to one another. Right? Pray they would be fruitful through their abiding relationship with Jesus and in the mission of making disciples of all nations. Pray they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit, and all the fruits of righteousness that flow from salvation. And then pray they would be fully funded. Uh, if there is one truth about international missions work is there is always a need for money. Uh, international missions work is expensive. Because when we send a missionary over there, as Free Will Baptist, we pay, if we send a couple, we pay the husband and wife both a salary. We pay them, we 
pay them enough that they can have a house, that they can get a place to live, and they can live. And their their only job while they're there is to be missionaries, right? And so it is expensive to go to other countries and live as a non-resident. Some countries it's expensive to live as a resident, but it's especially expensive to live as a non-resident. So pray they would be fully funded. That is always a need among free will, and not just free will Baptist international missions, but missionaries everywhere. Um, it doesn't matter what mission agency you go through, whether it's Southern Baptist Nazarene or some independent mission, like World New Tribes World Missions. All of them need money. There's always a need. So pray they would be fully funded. Another way to pray for international missionaries is to pray for specific issues and needs they may have. And there's several ways to do that. One is you can connect through social media. One of the benefits of being a free will Baptist, a smaller denomination, living in the time in which we live, is social media makes it possible to connect with virtually every missionary that we have on the field or every missionary who is on the verge of going on the field. Nearly every missionary has a Facebook account. Uh, nearly every missionary family has a, a particular Facebook group where they post in. And nearly every missionary team has a group where they, where, they, where they post that on Facebook. And so you can connect with them on social media. You can join their group and they post things in there. They're typically those groups are secret so people can't see them. Uh, and they can post things that are going on, struggles they're facing, issues they're having. Uh, and we can pray very specifically for them. Connecting with Free Will Baptist International missionaries and finding ways to pray for them is easier than has ever been in the world. You can get on their mailing list. Nearly every missionary sends out a letter, uh, either via email or snail mail, at least once a month. And, and I promise you this, they want you to get that letter. They want you to get their email. They want you to sign up for it. They would prefer you to get the email because it's free, uh, as opposed to getting a letter which will cost money out of their account to, to take care of. But if you connect with them on social media, you ask how to get on their mailing list, I promise you, they will connect you with that. And then... There is a weekly prayer bulletin that goes out, I think typically on Wednesdays, from International Missions. The link is on your handout, uh, and it will take you to the, it's called the Hotline Prayer Request, and you can pray specifically uh, for the issues that are listed. Uh, and so you can look at that. It's up all week. In fact, you can go back to the one that's up right now. When I went up earlier today, the new one wasn't up, but the past several weeks are up there. So if you don't pray through it on a Wednesday, you can go through it on a Thursday, just any day you want to, click on it. And you can go through there. So let's take time now and let's pray for our Free Will Baptist International Missionaries. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and goodness. Thank you, Lord, for people who will go and the faithfulness that they have to go to try to serve you in difficult places. Uh, Lord, they're laboring among so many people who 
where there are very, very few Christians and people who are deeply, deeply spiritually blinded to their need for Christ. I pray you would guide them and you would help them to be fruitful. Lord, I pray for Rusty and Brenda, Japan, help Rusty's foot to heal, help him not to hurt it again. I pray that you would guide their daughters in school, they would continue to do well. Guide David and Mimi as they continue to look for a house. Uh, things that have fallen through before, kind of discourage them, encourage them, and help them to find the place that you want them to be. God, Dennis and Carol, help them with their funding, that they would be able to stay on the field and do the things that need to be done. God, Joel and Lydia, as they go back, as they try to get back in the groove of doing that and falling back into work. God, Steve and Lori, as they train missionaries, encourage them and strengthen them. Let their ministry there be fruitful. We do pray for Emily Petty. Guide her as she travels. Let her travel be easy. Uh, let everything, let her luggage arrive like it should. Help her with her health, Lord. Touch her body and let the cancer not continue to let the cancer continue to not spread. And Lord, we'd even pray that you'd just take it all the way out and she would be completely healed in Jesus' name. Amen. And then lastly tonight, we want to pray for the unreached peoples of the world. Jesus promised the gospel would be preached to all 17,428 people groups in the world. He said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony in all the nations. And again, it's that pontata ethne. And then the end will come. Shall be is a promise. Jesus has promised the gospel will be preached in all the world and to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, Something we may not realize being in America where there are so many churches uh, in our town and our communities and the world around us. It's easy for us to look at all the churches in America, mega churches, things like that, all the access we have and assume the gospel has gone into all the world. Uh, but if you look at this pic, I don't know if you can see it well, but it, it divides the 17,428 people groups into five classes. Unreached, minimally reached, superficially reached, partially reached, and significantly reached. Right? Notice the red, that's the top. The red one is unreached. Uh, and the unreached peoples of the world, of the unreached people groups, it is 7,427 people groups are unreached. And that leads to over 3 billion people in the world who are unreached by the gospel. Both of those, it's a little over 42% of the world population are unreached. Now, let me define unreached and unengaged. Those are two significant terms when praying for the unreached. Unreached is a people uh, in which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize the people group without outside assistance. Right, so what that means is, uh, un, unreached, there may well be some Christians there, but there's not enough to evangelize that people group in a native way. Like, there, for instance, in Gaiman, Gaiman would be considered significantly reached. Why? Because while not everybody in Gaiman is saved, there are plenty of churches and Christians to reach our community for Christ. That not so among the unreached people groups. Um, also, another word is unengaged. 
So an unengaged is unreached people with no known church planting activity underway. So in an unreached people group, there may well be some missionaries and some Christians trying to reach that people group. In an unengaged, there are no one has gone there. No one is taking the gospel to them. So unreached and unengaged, it doesn't mean that there are 13 Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching churches in their communities and the people just choose not to go. It means that there are zero churches in most cases in their community or anywhere around them. It means that the majority of the unreached and unengaged peoples will live and die and they will never meet a Christian. They will never hear the gospel message. Right Now, that doesn't mean they've never heard of Jesus, right? Muslims believe in Jesus, just not the way Jesus is according to God's word. They've never heard the gospel. They've never heard about a Savior who died on the cross for their sins, who rose on the third day, and who will forgive them if they will repent and believe. They will, And it means they will likely live and die without ever hearing the gospel. They will never read God's word in their own language. They will never hear a gospel presentation. And the gospel has not reached 42% of the world. I mean, that's a significant number. Again, unreached are the largest people group. Minimally reached and superficially reached, those people are, I mean, vast majorities of them are lost as well. Only the significantly reached have plenty of access to the gospel in order for basically everyone to hear and be saved. Now, the places where the gospel hasn't reached are hard places. They're dangerous places. Missionaries who go to those places, they face legitimate danger. Danger of being harassed, danger of being beaten, danger of being arrested, and legitimate danger of being killed. And yet the gospel is meant to go to those places and to go to those people. That gives what Jesus says in Luke 10 about going out as lamb or sheep among wolves a new image. That was a legitimate thing. He literally meant go out among them even if it meant your life. So how can we be a part of helping reach the unreached and the unengaged? Well, we can give, we can go, and we can pray. Our focus tonight is on praying. I have a book by a frontier missionary named Dick Brogdon. Dick Brogdon has lived his entire life as a missionary to the unreached peoples of the world. He was born in Kenya, and he came to America for college and seminary, and then he returned to Frontier Missions. He has lived his entire life for the sake of God's glory among the Muslim Arab world, primarily in North Africa. He's lived in Kenya, Sudan, and right now I believe he's currently in Cairo. He has been harassed. He has been beaten, he has been arrested, and he has watched friends murdered because they were Christians. So he is one who knows what he talks about. In one of his books, the book I have, he gives 12 ways to pray for the unreached peoples of the world. Right? Pray for laborers. Not just among the unreached to get saved and to rise up, but there is a need. There is a need for people to go to the hard-to-reach places. Pray for conviction of sin. Dick Brogdon is clear. The job of a missionary is to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel must bring the conviction through the Holy Spirit 
so that they can be saved. They don't go there just to do kind deeds and good things. They go there to preach the gospel about a Savior who came. Pray the cross would be unveiled, that the darkness over their eyes, spiritual blindness would be taken away, and they would see the glory of God. Pray for faith against fear. Uh, despite the fact that they go, many of them are afraid. Some of them, Dick Brogdon raised his family there. Many of the people in his organization have young children that they, that they raise among those places, and they know it's dangerous, so pray they would not be afraid. Pray for the Word of God to rise, that it would go forth with power. Pray the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all people. Pray Jesus would unite the body of Christ. One of the things among the unreached, when you when there are pioneer missionaries among the unreached, if there happen to be two groups, things like one being a Baptist and one being assembly to God, that, that really can't be a dividing issue over there. Because those two may be the only Christians in a nation of three million. And they need unity to work together. So pray they would not let silly things divide them. Pray for good soil. The hearts would be ready to receive the gospel. Pray they would feel peace of God in the midst of whatever difficulties they're facing. Pray they would be bold to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray against a works-based salvation and legalism. Many of the the unreached peoples, I mean, they're religious, almost all of them, but they believe in some sort of a works-based salvation. So often what happens is they hear Jesus and they think, okay, this is another way to work my way to heaven. And so they miss the gospel entirely. Pray against that. And then pray for joy in persecution. Uh, for many of them do suffer on the regular. Now one of the best ways to pray these sorts of things for the unreached is to pray in connection with the unreached of the day. I've given you a link in the handout for the Joshua Project, the Unreach of the Day. Uh, you can download the Unreached of the Day prayer app for your smartphone or your iPads, and it'll show you uh, a people group, how many are in that people group, how many Christians are in that people group, ways to pray for them. That is a way we can pray and try to make a difference in there. Uh, for most of us, we can't go. Uh, Free Will Baptist don't have a lot of missionaries in those places, so it's harder Harder for us to give because I don't know a lot of places other than just one or two groups that we could give to. And so something we can do, though, is we can pray daily for the unreached of the day. One of my favorite authors of Days Gone By is a man named Andrew Murray. And here's what he said about the importance of prayer in reaching the nations. The evangelization of the world depends first upon a revival of prayer. Deeper than our need for workers... Deeper far than our need for money. Deep down at the bottom of our spiritual life is the need for the forgotten secret of prevailing worldwide prayer. Let's pray for the nations. Let's take time now pray for the unreached and the unengaged.
Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you for your guidance in our life. We pray. We pray for the unreached nations and those who have gone to them. Pray for the Live Dead organization. As they launch new teams to different parts of the Arab world and in North Korea, to Pakistan. Protect them. Make them bold. Give them fruit for their labors. I pray for groups like Frontiers USA who goes into the, the unreached and the unengaged. Let them have the labors and the funds they need to do what needs to be done. We pray for our Free Will Baptist partners in India and Pakistan. Native church planners, Father, who are reaching the unreached that way. Pray more of our churches would be givers to that. We could support more church planners in those areas. Protect them. I know they've had some struggles recently. Fill them with your spirit and make them fruitful as they proclaim the word. And we do pray, Lord, as Jesus told us to, for laborers to go out into the harvest. Lord, raise up people from our church from our community to go to the unreached nations of the world. Father, I long for a day when among some far flung people group that have never heard the gospel, there are multiple people serving there from Guyman, Oklahoma. Not all from the same place. They've They've gone through Free Will Baptist and they've gone through Nazarene and they've gone through First Baptist. But they've all been raised up and they've all been called out. And they've all been sent to those places. Father, make our town like Antioch in the book of Acts. From this place, missionaries would be sent out. From this place, people would go to the nations. Help us as a church to be a gospel mission. We would send support. We would give and go. Sure, the gospel is fully proclaimed. Guide into the ends of the earth. Use us to be a part of this. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.